The recent peace agreements between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and the flight from Israel across Saudi Arabia to the capital of the UAA has drawn attention to Israel's relationship with the Arab world, both past and present. Yesterday, the nation of Bahrain joined the UAE in normalizing ties with Israel. President Trump announced the agreement from the White House. Just a few moments ago, I hosted a historic call between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel and King Hamad al-Khalifa of Bahrain. Both leaders expressed their condolences as well to uh, the American people on this very, very tragic, horrible event that took place on September 11th. And uh, they very much meant it. I want to thank them for that. There's no more powerful response to the hatred that spawned 9-11 than the agreement that we're about to tell you. You will hear something today that's, I think, very, very important for not only the Middle East, but for the world. In the spirit of peace and cooperation, both leaders also agreed that Bahrain will fully normalize its diplomatic relations with Israel. They will exchange embassies and ambassadors, begin direct flights between their countries, and launch cooperation initiatives across a broad range of sectors, including health, business, technology, education, security, and agriculture. This is a truly historic day. There had been two peace agreements with Israel in the last 72 years. This is now the second peace agreement that we've announced in the last month. And I am very hopeful that there will be more to follow. I can tell you there's tremendous enthusiasm on behalf of other countries to also join. And we think ultimately you'll have most countries join and you're going to have the Palestinians in a very good position. They want to come in. They're going to want to come in because all of their friends are in. But we have tremendous enthusiasm for coming into the deal. I want to thank the group of very talented people behind me, and you're going to be hearing from them in a second. But it's just a very historic day, a very important day, and so interesting that it's on 9-11. Well, this is an amazing development. The Arab bloc has been hostile to Israel since the establishment of the state in 1948, 72 years ago. The response of most Arab states to the vote for Israel's independence in the United Nations was an attack on their Jewish citizens. The historian Martin Gilbert recounts, Even the tiny island of Bahrain, then under British protection, was the scene of a violent attack on the Jews. The representative of the British government in Bahrain, the British resident Charles Belgrave, recalled in his memoirs, existence was cruelly interrupted when a riot broke out in the capital, Manama. Beginning on December 5th, Jewish shops and homes were looted and the synagogues destroyed and many Jews attacked and beaten up. During the riot, Belgrave, his British police driver and a British police officer fought off a mob that attacked the home of a Jewish family who lived above their shop in the bazaar. Visiting Jewish homes after the police had quelled the riot, Belgrave was shocked to see that the homes had been stripped of their contents and what had not been removed had been smashed. When the synagogue was destroyed, the Torah scrolls were stolen. Miraculously, writes the historian Norman Stillman, only one elderly woman was killed. End quote. 
Well, only Jordan and Egypt made tacit peace agreements, both with many strings attached following the 1967 and 1973 wars. But the scripture is clear that two power blocks will exist in the time of the end. Daniel describes a king of the north and a king of the south, who continue the struggle for dominance over the Middle East that date back to Alexander the Great. The struggle continues in the latter days, as we read in Daniel 11 and verses 40 to 41. At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen, with many ships, and he will enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Well, that's Daniel's statement. The northern block is also defined in Ezekiel 38, and the aggressor is identified as Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal in verse 2. The southern confederacy is identified in Ezekiel 38 as well in verse 13. This time reading from the King James Version, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say to thee, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods and to take a great spoil? Well, Sheba and Dedan are the Arab countries that participate in this southern confederacy. Christadelphians has expected an alliance between Israel and the southern Arab states for almost two centuries. The question was always, how will this be brought about? As a community, we have wondered and watched since the formation of the state in 1948. All my life, the surrounding tribes have been hostile. Egypt made peace in 1978 and Jordan in 1991, but the rest of tribes have not until now. Well, Ezekiel's description of the protestations of these Arab nations, along with the merchants of Tarshish and the independent colonies, the young lions, indicates a trading relationship between the Arabs and Israel. John Thomas wrote the following in the book Help Us Israel in 1848. Now, any person acquainted with the present insecure condition of Palestine under the Ottoman dominion must be satisfied from the testimony that some other power friendly to Israel must then have become paramount over the land, which is able to guarantee protection to them and to put the surrounding tribes in fear. This is all that is needed, namely security for peace and property, and Palestine would be eligible for Jewish immigration as the United States have proved for the Gentiles. End quote. Well, Britain and the United States have fulfilled this role over the past 103 years. However, in the past month, President Trump, having influenced the Arabs of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and having put the surrounding tribes in fear, is helping to bring this about at a whole new level. This is the partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 60, verses 9 to 10. Surely the isles shall wait for me, and the ships of Tarshish first, to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of the Lord thy God, and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee, and the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their kings shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote me, but in thy, my favor have I had mercy upon thee. 
Britain was the first in bringing the sons of Israel from afar, but as the empire waned, the United States picked up the baton and has carried it since. These peace accords will help reconnect Britain back with Israel, as it is no longer having to awkwardly stand aloof to protect its relationship with the Arab states. Isaiah told us that their kings shall minister unto thee, and that is exactly what Trump has been doing with these peace agreements. Together, and joined with the Arab states, they will form Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all their young lions who protest the northerners' invasion. Now, the Arab contingent in this verse is identified with Sheba and Dedan. Who was the ancient nation of Sheba? Well, we know Sheba from the biblical record, as the Queen of Sheba is recorded as making a journey to visit Solomon in 1 Kings 10 verses 1 to 2. When the Queen of the South, when the Queen of Sheba, sorry, heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones, and when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Well, Ezekiel adds to this record about the trade of Sheba and the surrounding nations with Tyre. He writes in chapter 27, verse 20 to 24, Dedan was thy merchant in precious clothes for chariots, Arabia and all the princes of Kedar, they occupied thee with lambs and rams and goats, in these were thy merchants. The merchants of Sheba and Ramah, they were thy merchants, they occupied in thy fairs with chief of all spices and with all precious stones and gold, Haran and Cana and Eden, the merchants of Sheba, Asher and Kilmad were thy merchants. These were thy merchants in all sorts of things, in blue clothes, broidered work, chests of rich apparel, bound with cords, and made with cedar among thy merchandise. End quote. Well, ancient historians identify the spice production of the area of eastern Arabia. Herodotus, who lived about a hundred years after Ezekiel, wrote in his third book, Thalia. Arabia is the farthest of the inhabited countries towards the south and is the only region in which grow frankincense, myrrh, cassia, cinnamon, and laudanum. Now, archaeology has identified the location of Sheba with the Sabaeans of ancient Yemen. The city of Marib in Yemen, with its temples and nearby dams, was the center of the spice industry of ancient times. The Temple of the Moon was excavated in 1951 to 1952 by Wendell Phillips and again by his sister Marilyn uh, in 1998. The great Marib spice dam has been dated back to 1750 BC and has archaeological evidence of repairs and renovations in the time of 700 BC. It was under the control of the kingdom of Sabia or Sheba until about 115 BC. It is mentioned by famous Islamic scholars such as Ali Hamwai in his geography during the 12th and 13th century. There is no doubting the connection with the ancient kingdom of Sheba or the Sabaeans and the area of the southern Arabian Peninsula, whose capital is geographically located in the modern nation of Yemen, but would have covered a much larger tract of land in times gone by. Well, what is fascinating about the events going on these past few weeks is the reconnection that is being made between the state of Israel and the Arab states in the Gulf. Ancient Yemen was in the news this week, not due to the current war, but because an exhibit opened in Israel at the Bible Lands Museum that catalogues the Jewish connection to Yemen. Alan Yeish, a Yemenite Jew, describes his Yemenite heritage. He says, 
I always felt privileged to have been born into a family whose Jewish roots trace back more than 2,500 years to the first Jews that left Israel and went to Yemen before the destruction of Solomon's Jewish temple. Well, the archives of the Jewish People's Museum in Tel Aviv record the following. In 1881, before the first Aliyah from Europe, some 2,500 Jews made Aliyah with far less fanfare from Yemen. This Aliyah, dubbed I Will Climb the Palm Tree, after a verse in Song of Songs, arrived in the land of Israel for both religious and Zionist regions. The new immigrants did not shy away from hard work and did not rely on the Haluka arms, which were the main source of income for the veteran Jewish population of the land of Israel at the time." End quote. Well, the late historian Milt Martin Gilbert, in his book In Ishmael's House, records the early immigration. He writes on page 119, Persecution and hardship led many Jews to take the further step of immigrating to Palestine in search of a better life in Yemen, where Jews had been subjected to extremely harsh rule during the 19th century. Jewish immigration to Palestine began in 1882. A Yemeni artisan's quarter was established below the walls of Jerusalem in the Arab village of Silwan. Beginning the following year, however, the Ottoman ruler of Yemen refused to allow the immigration to continue, and for more than two decades, Yemeni Jews could only make their way to Palestine clandestinely. End quote. The co-founder of the Bibelands Museum, Batia Borowski, recalls her family's aliyah, or ascent, to the land of Yemen. This is what she said in an interview. Ever since I was a child, Shabbat dinner, we would sit and the candles would be burning on the table and there were no lights in the house, just the candles. And my father would tell these wonderful stories that were, to me, they were out of the stories of Arabian Nights. And they were so exciting and so very special. It left a very strong feeling in me always to know more about the people and where my father came from, from Yemen. In my last years, because I am getting older, I thought that I would be able to achieve something that I had always dreamed about, and that was to create an exhibition about the history of the Yemenite people in Yemen and the connections that they had to the State of Israel. My father's family came here uh, in 1907. They organized a march from this village in Yemen that they lived in to escape the country and finally to come to Israel, the land of their dreams. They had strange, strange stories that he would tell about the adventures, including how the bandits would always attack the, the caravans and they had to walk, and they walked and walked and walked for many miles and for a very long period of time. Amanda Weiss, daughter of Bataya Borowski, is the current director of the Bible Lands Museum in Jerusalem. Now, she related... My grandfather was born in Yemen, and as a small child, he walked. It took them two years, and the entire family walked from Yemen until they finally arrived in Israel in 1909. 
So they left Yemen in 1907, and my mother grew up on the stories of the traumas and the difficulties of that journey and of their love for Israel and their goal to ultimately settle here. And they did. They, they lived the dream. She describes the connection of the Jews on their epic journey to Israel and the ancient spice road traveled by the traders of Sheba. One of the important elements of this exhibition that we wanted you to see was the aromatics. The value of those scents was probably similar to silver or gold in the market today. And they were used all across, even through the Roman Empire. And that route that they traveled and they took is what helped the Jews make it from Yemen to Israel itself. Well, during the period of 1881 to 1914, about 10% of the Jewish population in Yemen emigrated to Palestine. Borowski's family were part of this contingent. In 1947, after the vote in the United Nations to establish a Jewish state in Palestine, rioters attacked Jewish people and their homes, economically paralyzing the Jewish community. Martin Gilbert describes some of the events. We read, Some Jews were accused of murdering two young Muslim girls and throwing their bodies down a well. The leaders of the Jewish community were seized in their houses, beaten, taken to prison, and chained together by their ankles. A mob burst into the Jewish quarter, looting and robbing only the timely intervention of one of the Imam Yahad's sons, Prince Safud ul-Islam al-Hassan, prevented loss of the life. The prince sent soldiers into the Jewish quarter to protect the Jews and force the rioters to leave. Anti-Jewish tension was also appearing in other towns across Yemen, as the Arab-Israeli war fanned the flames of Muslim anger. A letter from a Jew in Sana'a sent to on the 10th of January 1949 reported that the town of Damar, Jews were beaten and robbed because of one thing, that the Israelis were waging war on the Arabs in Palestine and were trying to conquer the whole of Palestine. The letter from Sana contained a plea, who can pull us out of this iron furnace? The answer to that question was another of the Imam Yahya's sons, Imam Ahmad bin Yahya, who in 1949 and 1950 allowed 44,000 Jews to leave Yemen from Israel. The Israeli organized immigration, codenamed Operation Magic Carpet, was conducted entirely by air. None of those who left for Israel had ever flown before. And that's from Martin Gilbert's book, The Inishmael's House, A History of the Jews in Muslim Lands, um, pages 232 to 233. While well, many of these flights were conducted by pilots of the Alaskan Airlines, pilot Warren Metzger recorded the events in his book on Eagle's Wings. Now, the book is named In Remembrance of God's Deliverance of Israel from Egypt that we read of in Exodus 19, verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. In an interview, he stated the following. It was pretty much seat of the pants flying in those days. Navigation was by dead reckoning and eyesight. Planes were getting shot at. The airport in Tel Aviv was getting bombed all the time. We had put extra fuel tanks in the planes so that we had the range to avoid landing in Arab territory. We take off from our airbase in Etria in the morning and fly to Aden in Yemen to pick up our passengers and refuel, Warren said. Then we'd fly up to the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba to the airport in Tel Aviv to unload. We'd then fly to Cyprus for the night. We couldn't keep the planes on the ground in Israel because of the bombings. 
one of our pilots got a little too close to Arab territory when flying into Israel from the Gulf of Aqaba and traces started arching up toward the plane. Another one of our planes got a tire blown out during the bombing raid on Tel Aviv. One of our crews practically lived on their planes from the end of April through June. Now, James Wooten, the president of Alaskan Airlines, relates his experience on a historic flight where he carried 104 children under 12 years old from Yemen to Israel. This is his account. But I never had anything ring my heart quite so badly or severely as when we arrived over the battlefield. The two of them on board who could speak English came up and said, when we reach Israel, let us know. So when we came into the Bay of Aqaba and started up the Negev, I said, now we'll probably get fired on in this trip and you go back and tell them all to be quiet. The God is with us. And we'll get through. So she says, we know that. God is with us and we will get through. Well, I didn't have much faith in the bold statement that I'd made, but by God, after you listened to her, you had to have faith in the statement. So when we got over Beersheba, we had a pretty sharp east wind. And it veered us towards Al-Fallujah, where there were 2,500 Jippo troops that were manned by German officers from the Afrika Corps. And they had the latest British weapons that were made here in the United States, 40,000-foot anti-aircraft bumpers. And we were within 12 miles of them, but we weren't over them, and they started throwing that lead at us. But fortunately, we were slightly out of range when the first burst came, and by diving, we were able to stay out of range. But we had to be very careful because if we veered too far to the right, we'd get over Hebron. And if we didn't come out on the corridor out to the Mediterranean Sea and then turn around and come back in over Lydda, why we get fired on by the Israeli? Because the only corridor of identification they had, they only had one set of radar equipment in the land at that time, was to come in from the corridor from the Mediterranean. And it was a good idea to do that. So they were praying when the anti-aircraft fire came, and it was a new kind of prayer to me. But the thing that really impressed me was when we landed Israel, every one of them stood up at attention after we'd arrived at Israel and sang the national anthem. 104 kiddies. And the oldest one was 11 years of age, but by God, every one of them was singing. They had arrived at the promised land. Wooten was often accompanied by his wife Phyllis on these journeys. His daughter recounts, My father was very proud that my mother had the courage to fly some of the dangerous flights with them and acted as a flight attendant, even though on two specific flights, as they were running out of gas, she had to pour gas from a can into the gas tank to complete the journey without crashing in hostile territory. End quote. Well, Operation Magic Carpet was accomplished and without a single loss of life. This month is the 70th anniversary of the last journey. The Jerusalem Post ran a headline, Last Flight of the Magic Carpet, on September 25, 1950. The article read, The Magic Carpet came to rest at Lida Airport tonight when Shmolo Siri from Sana stepped out of the Near East Airline 
plane shortly before 10 o'clock, the airlift from Aden, which has brought 47,140 Yemenite Jews to Israel since the end of 1948, was officially closed. Well, the Bible Lands Museum in Israel is bringing to light the history of the Yemenite community and their aliyah to Israel. This is amazing because it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The prophet Joel, writing about God's recompense for the invaders of the land, had the following to say in Joel chapter 3, verse 4. He says, Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coasts of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? And if ye render recompense me, swiftly and speedily will I return your recompense on your own head, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried away into your temples my goodly pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians, that you might remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place where you have sold them, and will return your recompense on your head, and will sell your sons and your daughters into the land, into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for Yahweh hath spoken it. Now, the prophet recounts that he will bring again retribution on Tyre and Sidon and the coast of Palestine, the Philistines, because they had sold his children to the Grecians, who removed them to far off from their borders. And God tells them he will return their recompense on their own heads and sell them to the Sabaeans. The Sabaeans are the Shabaim, the inhabitants of Sheba in modern-day Yemen today. If the recompense is going to be returned, it indicates that the Jews were once sold into this area. God tells us, I will raise them out of the place whither you have driven them, verse 7. The word raise reminds us of Israel described in the resurrection of the whole house of Israel from the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel chapter 37. God did raise the Jews of Yemen out of the area they were sold into and brought them on eagles' wings to himself, to his land, in preparation for Messiah to come. Now, amazingly, 70 years after the Jews fled a hostile Arab world, they are starting to make peace with the very people who chased them out. We live in truly epic times when the word of God is coming to pass before our eyes. May we be prepared for our pilgrimage as we read in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 36. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and be ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. For the Bible and the News, this has been Jonathan Bowen joining you.